Hi, everybody. I hate golf. Hate it. Fourth of July, I don't hate. It's not my favorite time of the year. Uh, but this year, for the first time, I think in years, I am not preaching on the 4th of July. Oh, yeah, baby. I am very happy about that. 29 years ago, um, I was 29, 29 years ago. And uh, what are you laughing at? It's true. 29, 29, 58, that's true. And uh, I moved with my family to Klamath Falls, Oregon. And uh, it was strange. It was weird. I was driving on the wrong side of the road. It was confusing. And quite seriously, I didn't think I could, I could handle it. Uh, it was such a culture shock. And then I went off to a, a men's retreat. And uh, there was this guy speaking at the men's retreat. And I listened to him and I thought, I, I think I, could, I can do this. I really like this guy. I like his heart. I like the way he speaks. And uh, I think I'm going to stay here. Uh, that guy 29 years ago was Pastor Dick Both. He uh, kind of saved my life back then. And I, I am happy that if you were leaving, there would be violence involved. So I know we've already applauded, but can we just do it one more time? Because we love him. We love him. All right, and America is through to the quarterfinal of the World Cup. And I can see you're thrilled. Some of you don't give a rip, do you? That's why I'm going back to England. There's a nation in mourning that has needs of my pastoral skills. All right, we're continuing little big books, and we're looking at Joel this weekend. Joel, and we're talking, as Pastor Darry prayed, we're talking about true repentance and authentic faith. Now, before we turn to this, it's, let's, let's get the gist of what, what this is all about, this little big book called Joel. The book of Joel is part of a group of 12 prophetic books known as the 12 Minor Prophets. Now, there are the minor prophets in the Bible, there are the major prophets. That doesn't mean that the majors are important and the minors, yeah, not too important. It's just about the length of the books. Uh, we don't know very much about the author uh, at all of this book. We know his name is Joel, which means the Lord is God. Uh, Michelangelo portrays him uh, like this, but we have uh, obviously no biogra biographical details really at all about this man. Uh, we know he lived around 2,800 years ago and things were good. This was a time of unprecedented prosperity in the life of the nation. He lived most likely during the golden age of King Uzziah. Remember Uzziah and Isaiah. And Uzziah lived for 50 or reigned for 52 years. For 52 years. Uh, that meant that the nation was in great stability politically, militarily, uh, economically. Things were going really well. But how many of you, like me, know that when things are going well, that can erode your dependency upon God? You can drift. It, it's great. Things, when there's an emergency, that can drive you back to the Lord. But for, as, the, uh, as the nation, they were, they were drifting. Uh, there was a lot of immorality in the nation. Uh, there was a lot of drunkenness and uh, corruption amongst the priests. And so now, Joel stands up and he says, hard times are coming. And he specifically prophesies about locusts 
and about drought. Uh, locusts, which can be so incredibly uh, devastating to an economy, uh, and, and Joel using metaphorical, maybe literal language about locusts, he's saying, hey, bad times, tough times are coming, and because of that, it is time to listen, a real key theme of Joel and of all the minor prophets, time to, to listen, to wake up, and he says, repent. Now, the only question, the big question is, what does that mean? Repent. So let's take a close look at this. Let's read uh, the middle part of this little big book, Joel chapter 2 and verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows, he may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber, let the priests who minister before the Lord weep before the portico and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? I mentioned that it was 29 years ago that we first came to America. And all these years later... We absolutely can, I absolutely love living here, but it can still be a complicated place to live and I am still learning about just how different we are, especially in the way that we use uh, language. And I've talked with you about that over, over the years. So for example, uh, in England, uh, I know I've told you about this, in England, if I wanted to say that one of you ladies was friendly and hospitable, it would be entirely acceptable for me to say that you're a very homely lady. That is a compliment where I come from. Here, if I say that you're really homely, you're likely to slap me, aren't you? Because uh, it sounds like I'm suggesting that you're pretty ugly. Um, pants. In America, you, we call them pants. What you call pants, we call trousers. And to us, your pants are your underwear. I know, it's really confusing because, and actually, this, this, you need to know this stuff. I had some American friends come to a conference in England, crowded, thousands of people there. We're walking along the road, and this guy, this pastor, his, his wife was a hundred yards behind, and he turned around and he said, Honey, I'm just going to go back to the room to change my pants. <laughs> people looked around because they thought he was just announcing to the entire crowd, I'm going to change my underwear and I want you all to know about it. <laughs> braces, braces. Uh, braces are what go on teeth for us. Braces are what you call suspenders. They're braces to us. Chips, chips look like, like, like this in America. But in, in England, what, what will you call French fries? We call chips. And so just a week ago, I ordered a sandwich and chips, and I thought I was going to get French fries. It's, I've only been here 29 years. I haven't figured it out. 
For you, the first floor is at ground level. For us, the ground level floor is called the ground floor. And the first floor is what you call the second floor. Is this microphone acting up? I can hear something going on. So, shall I just, just talk among yourselves? Just turn to the person next to you and just say, those English people really are weird, aren't they? Just go ahead and just say that. Okay. How's that? Okay, because I could just hear this stuff going on and it was starting to distract me. So, even if you didn't hear it, I've done this. Chaps. Chaps are what cowboys wear out here. Chaps. In England, chaps are a group of men together. Chaps. A biscuit. For you, a biscuit looks like this. For us, a biscuit is a cookie. It's really confusing. I told you this when I first came out here. Someone said... Do you like what's, what's on the special for breakfast? I said, what's that? They said, biscuits and gravy. I said, you're sick. <laughs> See, lots of confusion about words. And what happens is a word is used and then its, its meaning changes. Here is another word that often creates confusion wherever in the world people actually use this word. Repent. Repent. It's, it's an... It's a universally misunderstood word. It's a, it's a word that so often has got connotations with, with people ranting, and shouting, God hates you, the precise opposite of the, the Christian message. It's, it's got this negative impression, repentance. It, it might be that when you heard that I was preaching tonight about repentance, you might have thought, oh boy, here, here we go, it's, it's time for one of those. It's not helped either because in our culture, turnarounds and apologies aren't always that popular anyway. Is anyone, is anyone here old enough to remember the movie Love Story? Anyone remember Love Story? I went to see Love Story with Kay and I so embarrassed myself because we got to the end, you know, and is it he who dies or she who dies? But someone dies, I know that. And we're sitting there at the end and everybody's leaving the, the, the theatre and I am the only man in the place sobbing uncontrollably. <laughs> so pathetic. Love means never having to say you're sorry. What utter garbage <laughs> is that? We tend to be a just-do-it culture, don't worry about it, get on with it. So when someone pops up and says, repent... It's a word that we need to carefully investigate because it is a thoroughly biblical word and it is a word, ladies and gentlemen, that sits at the very heart of the Christian gospel. John the Baptist, the fellow with, with odd dietary habits, snacking on locusts and all that good stuff, he begins his message by saying, repent. And Jesus, when he begins his ministry in Galilee, Mark chapter 1, 15, he says, The time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. You see, we, we can't edit this word out of our vocabulary because it's not cool. It sits at the very heart of the Christian message. So, so what does it mean? It sits at the heart of Joel's message too. Let's, let's dive in. First of all, if you're following in the bulletin, follow with me if you will. First of all, it's a word, repentance. It's a word to reclaim and broaden. Repentance. It's a word to reclaim and broaden. 
Return to me, says the Lord, with all your heart. Rend your heart and not your garments. You see, in Joel's time, the people had developed this idea that repentance was just an exterior thing. The official way to repent was to tear your clothes and to throw dust up in the air. It's a cultural thing, but it's what they they did. And you could also put on sackcloth and wear ashes on your head. These were exterior signs of repentance. But Joel comes along and he immediately, it's like a movie screen that, that widens even as you watch. Because Joel is saying, no, this, this whole repentance thing, first of all, it's for everybody. If you look at the book of Joel, he says it's for young and old, it's for, the, it's, it's for everybody in the nation to be involved in this whole thing. But not only that, it's about a depth that goes beyond just tearing your clothes. He says, no, rend your hearts, tear your heart in pieces. You see, what Joel is saying is that God is not interested in our fancy little religious routines. Yeah, it's Saturday night at Timberline, let's go sing a few songs, pray a couple of prayers and get on with life. No, he is saying, Joel is saying, there is something much, much deeper than that that even goes beyond sorrow. Did you know that repentance is not just about being sorry? You're going to be sorry because you're caught. You're going to be sorry, but not change, not change the way you're living. In fact, 2 Corinthians 7 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Sorrow comes, if you will, as a prelude to authentic repentance. But it's not just about crying. It's about something much deeper. And, and we've got our own cultural challenges as well in the modern church today. You see, we've... We don't really understand, I think, the way the, word, the way the word should be used because, again, words change over the years. Let me illustrate that. 25 years ago, excuse me, 21 years ago, if you had said to me, can you get your email on your Apple, I would have said, you are out of your tiny mind. First of all, because it was only in 1993 that we first started using the term email. Can you, young people here, can I just say to you, there was a time in the dark annals of history when it was not possible to get email. I know, I don't know how the universe survived all these years. But if you'd said to me, can you get your email, I would have said, what is that? And then if you'd have said, can you get it on your apple, I'd have said, how can I receive information on fruit? Why? Because the wording use of the words have changed just in 21 years. You know what our problem is? The word meaning has changed over 2,000 years. Here's what Tom Wright says about the word repent. He says, Jesus invited his hearers to repent and believe the gospel. In our world, telling people to repent and believe is likely to be heard as a summons to give up personal sins and accept a body of dogma or a scheme of religious salvation. This is a classic occasion when we have to unlearn our normal readings, including our faith readings of first century texts, and allow the first century itself to tell us what to hear instead. The phrase means basically, give up your agendas and trust me for mine. That is not to say Jesus did not give this challenge to what we would call a religious or spiritual dimension. 
It is to insist that we cannot use that to screen out the practical and political challenge that the words would convey. You see, repent doesn't just mean you've been naughty, now turn around and do something different. It's much bigger than that. Flavius Josephus was a Jewish historian who was alive around AD 60, just before the Jews staged a revolt against the Roman Empire, which would lead to the destruction of the temple. He was commissioned to ride out to some of the rebel Jews and try to persuade them to not go through with their suicidal plan. He rode out to them, he started having conversation with them, and then he ended his presentation by saying this, Repent and believe in me. You see, what he was saying was not just be a little bit sorry for that sin and that sin and maybe that sin because you've been very bad. He was saying there is a whole nother way of doing things. There is a whole nother agenda, if you will. So give up your philosophy of life, turn around from that and now believe in me and I will help you through this. You see, talking movies tonight, honey, I shrunk the kids. Honey, we shrunk the gospel. We've turned the gospel into a little sin management system or a ticket to heaven when you die. But it's much bigger than that. The Christian life is not about praying a little prayer, going to Timberline at the weekends, The Christian life is about embracing this Jesus who says, give up your agendas. Give up your, everything you've learned about life. Now come, embrace my agenda. Follow me. We need to reclaim the word. Is it possible that some of us tonight, God is challenging us about realizing that this is a big deal. This is whole life stuff. Might be this evening you're not a follower of Jesus. I want you to know that in 12 or 13 or 14 minutes from now, there's going to be an opportunity for you to have a change of mind, if you'd like. And not just to pray a little prayer, but to embrace his agenda. And and then secondly, repentance is a call to God and not just morality. It's a call to God and not just morality. Return to the Lord your God, Joel says. I I remember when I was 17, someone said to me, are you a Christian? And I said, of course I'm a Christian, I'm British. How many know that's a really stupid idea? And then I followed up that stupid idea with with another stupid idea. I said, not only am I British, but I, I try to be good. I try to do my best. And that person I was speaking to should have, should have said, so what? What's that got to do with anything? What's that got to do with Christianity? Because there are good people around of all faiths and none. Christianity is not just even about embracing a morality system. It's about a personal relationship, yes, one that is conducted by faith. And it is about not just obeying God, but walking with him and being empowered by him. Look at what Joel promises. He promises the coming of the Spirit in chapter 2, verse 28. And afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit. 
in those days. And then on, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, as the church is born, the Holy Spirit empowers those people. And Peter stands up and he says, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In other words, as Christians, we're not just sitting around saying, what would Jesus do and trying to copy him? That's not a bad question, but it's a, it's a good place to start, but it's a bad place to finish. But we rather are people who are saying, Jesus, we want to walk with you and by the power of your Holy Spirit transforming us, we want to live according to your new agenda. You know what we've done, folks? We've spent too much time arguing about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit instead of simply asking God every day to empower us and fill us with the Holy Spirit. Repentance is about a call not just to an agenda or a morality, but to God himself. Thirdly, repentance and confidence go hand in hand. Repentance and confidence go hand in hand. Look at what Joel says. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Are those words familiar to anybody? How many of you were here last weekend? Just raise your hand if you were here last weekend. That's good. How many of you are here this weekend? Just raise your hand. Last weekend, we were looking at Jonah. It's exactly what Jonah said. Do you remember that? But Jonah said it as a complaint, because he was ticked because the Ninevites, the Assyrians, were getting grace. He also says it in the hope that God will avert judgment, whereas with Joel, there is this hope of blessing. It's a rhetorical question that is not arrogant. It's another way of saying, we know that Yahweh, that God will turn and bless us. Can I just ask this? Are we confident that when we come to God for forgiveness that he's going he's gonna to forgive us? One of the reasons that Dick Foth really helped me out is because when I first got to America, I was part of this lovely church. They were really great people, but I just couldn't get it. Because we would get together, I was on the pastoral team, and We'd get together to pray before the service. And we'd walk into the senior pastor's study and everyone was looking pretty normal and happy and then someone would say, let's pray. And everyone instantly burst into tears. And they started, oh, 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 oh. And they're wailing and crying. And I'm like, what happened? Did everyone just get their feet stamped on and they missed me? And they're wailing and crying. Crying. And then we got to the end of the prayer. Amen. How about that football last night? It disappeared. Freaked me out. I thought, beam me up, Scotty. What was going on there was this idea that if you were going to come to God, you better be sobbing. Now, there are times when we need to be sobbing. But we don't need to cringe back somehow, fingers crossed, hopefully he'll forgive us. That's not what Joel is saying. There is a confidence here, but there's not an arrogance. What's the other end of the pendulum? The other end of the pendulum, it goes like this. I wonder if any of us are doing this. Yeah, I'm going to do that, because I know that I'm going I'm to sin my brains out, and then I'm going to repent, and then he'll forgive me. And guess what? I'll go ahead and do it again next week, and then he'll forgive me again. That is a complete misuse of the grace of God. And Joel is espousing a confidence here 
but not an arrogance. Where, where do we fit on the scale of response there? Are we cringing back like, like, like a, a whipped puppy fearing that the master's going to beat us? Or are we kind of arrogant saying, yeah, it's going it's to be fine? There's a confidence without arrogance in true repentance. Number four, seizing the day. Repentance is now. Seizing the day. Repentance is now. Listen to what Joel says. There's urgency here. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. He is saying the time, the time is now. I've met people who've said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this Christianity, but I think I'm going to live my life first and then see if I can time my decision to become a Christian relatively close to my death. That way I get to have fun and go to heaven. Two things about that. First of all, you've completely misunderstood Christianity, if that's the way you think. Because, you see, Jesus invites you to follow him. Because, ladies and gentlemen, this is the way to live. This is what we were born for. This is how we were designed. This is not for spiritual people, for, for, for nice people. This is human life as it's supposed to be. You and me in relationship with Jesus. So don't think that if you just delay this so that you can have fun, yeah, there'll be a cost. And it may be difficult, but this is the way to live. How many of you, like me, have ever put diesel in a gasoline vehicle? Raise your hand if you have ever done that, or vice versa, gasoline in a diesel. How many of you have done that? Raise your hand. There are about ten of us who are admitting to this. I remember when I did this, and there was a high-pitched scream heard in Jupiter. Why would I do that? I got a hundred yards and, uh, and then the car started coughing and spluttering. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, walking with Jesus is the way the vehicle was designed to be. Also, the human heart can get kind of hard. So don't procrastinate. Don't just say later. It isn't that God isn't ready to forgive whenever, it's that our hearts can harden and take us to a place where we no longer call on him. It's sobering, but it's true. Well, the last and final thing is this. Repentant people have an impacting testimony. Repentant people have an impacting testimony. Joel is not just interested in people being blessed for their sake. He's interested in the people of God living a life of testimony to God in the earth. Look at what he says. Spare your people, Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? You see, it wasn't just about them. Joel is saying, people are watching. And a repentant people have got a story to tell. People are watching, and the way that we conduct ourselves really matters. There was a time in my life when I was 17. If you don't believe me, here is the terrible picture that testifies to that truth. Yes, 
I can hardly believe that. I think I was actually singing. And I think there were many people crying out to God because I was. People see that picture and they walk up to my wife and they say, Why? Why? What were you thinking? My life was changed by this lady. Her name is Pamela Richardson. She was a teacher at my high school. She went home to be with Jesus a few years ago. I was probably her worst student. She was the religious knowledge teacher. You guys can come back and help me if you want to come back and play. That would be, be good. And I wasn't a Christian, and I thought Christians were crazy. I used to go along to the Christian club at school to steal the cookies. I used to signal to the whole class. We had to have Bibles. I wasn't a Christian, so I would send a signal to the class. And simultaneously, the entire class, we would fall out of our chairs and lie on the floor with our feet and hands flapping just to make her mad. And she was irrationally kind to me. And I watched her because she was the Christian. She was a pastor's wife. And some of the other teachers used to put on her. And they'd ask her to do stuff that they should have done, knowing that because she was the Christian, she'd try and help out. She always did. I watched her. And she thought I was the furthest away from God. And I will never forget. I'll never forget. Bring your picture back up again, guys, if you would. If you're able to do that. She's got that perturbed look on her face. I think she was probably thinking, what about that Lucas? Because I called her one Sunday afternoon and I said, I need to come along to your church. And I think she was ready to drop the telephone. And I went along to the church that her husband pastored. It was a baptismal service which completely freaked me out. Like an aquatic mugging. And that night, because of Pam, I became a Christian. I asked for her picture to come back because probably a decade ago now, I went to see her and the chemotherapy wasn't working. And she knew it. And I went to thank her for her testimony. And for whatever reason, she was kind of proud of me. I don't know why. She said, I've still got your essays. I still kept them all those years later. And I said my goodbye. And I'm standing on this platform tonight because of her. Who's watching? Who's watching? Don't say it doesn't matter. Don't say you don't care. Because who knows what God might do to a people of authentic repentance whose lives turn a head and maybe a heart. Let's pray together.
Lord, we thank you for this little big book of Joel, for the promise of the Spirit, the promise of your help. But we thank you too for this healthy call that he gives, not this angry ranter yelling God hates you, but a warm-hearted prophet calling an errant people back to God. We pray, Lord, this evening that you will help us to be a people of authentic repentance. Our time has gone, but would you just keep your heads bowed for a moment? I wonder how many of us tonight want to repent in the way that Josephus meant it and in, I believe in the way that Jesus and John meant it. It's not just about praying a little prayer. You want to become a follower of Jesus except his way of doing things, his agenda, his kingdom lifestyle. It's time to say, I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to be a Christian. If you want that, just pray this little prayer. It's the beginning. It's just the beginning. Lord, I want you. I want to repent. Turn from my selfish ways. Turn to you. I want you to show me how to live your way. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me whole. I invite you, not just into my heart, but into the whole of my life. Take charge. Please. Just keep your heads bowed for a moment. If you just prayed that or something like that, can I ask you to do something really simple because this is big? If you did that, would you just slip up your hand for a moment and hold it there for a second and then put it down again? Thank you for doing that. That's wonderful. Are there others? I see people over on my right and over on the left there. Our prayer team will be here at the end. We've got We've got information that will help you take the next step. Please come and get it. Please come and get it. I wonder as our heads are bowed, we could all do better, but who here is sensing as a Christian that God is saying it's turnaround time? It is time for you to do a 180 in that area. It's time for you to accept my kingdom agenda instead of yours in that area of your life. This is big. It's a big deal. I'd love to pray for you. Slip up your hand if that's true for you. Thanks for doing that. Father, we have no idea what's going on in hearts tonight, but you know everyone. So draw close, we pray. Thank you that it is not just about us doing better. Empower each and every person with the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray to follow through the nudges of God in their hearts and let fruit that will remain come forth. We agree in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Yeah, let's put our hands together, shall we? So now, Lord, we want to take the song and live in the good of it. You're greater, you're stronger. So fill us with your Holy Spirit this week that our lives might not only be pleasing to you but be a beacon 
witness to many. We agree together and we give you thanks that you can work this in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, Amen. The sun is still shining. Enjoy it. Drive safe. Don't cremate anything too badly on the barbecue. God bless you guys. Have a great weekend. Prayer team are here. We'd love to pray with you if we can.